So let's open in prayer. Father, thanks for this day you've granted us. Open our hearts and minds as we study. Thank you for being here with us and giving us your Holy Spirit who guides us not only into all truth, but into the very decisions we need to make in life. Thank you, Father, for that. And pray that you would guide us now as we study. In Christ's name, amen. All right, knowing the will of God, guidance. The Holy Spirit guides us in our lives. And so that's what we want to talk about today, how that works. One of the greatest truths of our Christian life is that God has left His Spirit to guide us. He didn't leave us all by ourselves. He didn't leave us to handle the Christian life on our own. Rather, He's left us a resident guide, the Holy Spirit, who guides us not only into the truth, like what is true, what is false, but He actually guides us in our lives to know and do the will of God for our lives. God has a plan for all of us. And uh, it is the Holy Spirit that guides us into that plan. In fact, uh, in, remember back in John, Christ said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you another comforter. And of course, when Christ was here, he led his disciples. They were with him. And Christ is going away. The disciples haven't caught on to that yet. They didn't know he was going to go be crucified. They thought Christ was going to be with them for a long time. And Christ says, no, I'm going away. But I'm not going to leave you all by yourself. I'm not going to leave you an orphan. That's a good word. I'm not going to leave you child or fatherless. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send a spirit and he's going to guide you. And that's what the spirit does. The spirit guides us into all truth. What do we mean by that? He helps us understand the word of God. The way that you and I understand the Bible, the way we have any comprehension of what it says, is the Holy Spirit guides us. I've taken many classes from men who knew Hebrew and Greek and they knew all of the facts of Scripture and had no idea what it said because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And unless you have the Holy Spirit guiding you and leading you, you're not going to be able to figure out anything about the Scripture. And that's why it's so important, like when you study the Word of God or when you have your devotions or when you're reading the Word of God, ask God to help you. Ask God to give you insight and understanding and guidance. It doesn't hurt to, as you're reading a passage and you can't figure it out, pray a little prayer and ask God to give you insight. The Holy Spirit will. He gives us understanding of the truth. He leads us in our lives where we should go, what we should do. We're going to talk about that. That's what this whole class is about. How do we know how to be guided by the Holy Spirit? He guides our decision-making. We talked about that last week a little bit. He guides us in the, you know, where we should maybe go to school, who we should marry, things like that. And He shows us God's will for our lives. He shows us what God has for us, God's big plan for us. The Holy Spirit is very important in our lead, in the leading. And as you look at the scriptures, you see some examples of this. For example, for um, first one here, Matthew four, Christ was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Remember that Matthew four, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for forty days. All right. Christ didn't go there on his own initiative. He was led by the Spirit. In fact, what Christ said is his entire ministry was 100% devoted to what the Spirit led him to do. That's amazing. Christ didn't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, wait a minute, I don't understand that. Christ is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father's God. How does that? Don't worry about it. Go with what the Scripture says. Christ in his incarnation gave up independent, remember we talked about it, he gave up the independent use of his own decision making. He subjected himself to the will of the Father and the will of the Holy Spirit. So what he did, he did by 
the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that is the um, unpardonable sin in Matthew 12. Remember when the Pharisees said, well, what you're doing is by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Christ said, now wait a minute. You're on dangerous ground there. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You're not forgiven in this age or the age to come. You don't take the things I'm doing by the power of the Spirit and say it's the devil behind it. That's a very dangerous thing to do. The Spirit led the church in Antioch to select Paul and Barnabas. Remember, the Spirit said, separated me Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have for them to do. And it says that they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out to be the first missionaries in Acts 13 and 14. Remember, the Spirit prevented Paul from going into Asia and rather led him to Europe. Remember when he went to the edge and was in uh, Miletus there and uh, the decision was, well, where do I go now? I came up from the south. I can't go there. Let's go north. And the Spirit said, no. I'll go east. The Spirit said, no. And that night we have the Macedonian call. All right. The point is, as you look through the scriptures again and again and again, you see the invisible weeding of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's ask a question. When is that most clear when you see the leading of the Holy Spirit? How do you see it most clearly? In hindsight. In hindsight. When you look back, you say, oh, <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> Often you don't see clearly the Spirit leading you out. I mean, you know, there may be things that the Spirit leads you to do, and you know that's the will of God. But by and large, the best way to see God's leading in your life is you look back. As I look back in my life, I see different decisions I made that, you know, at that time I you know, made the best decision I could. But then as I look back, I see, you know, it really was the Holy Spirit that was moving in those areas and led me to where I'm at today. I think God teaches us that too all the time in the Old Testament where he had the adults do things to show the kids and then to go back and tell the kids what, you know, tell your children what the Lord did and when they came through the waters and they all had to pick up a stone and leave all the stones at the end so the kids would ask what happened and the adults would tell them how God provided and then God likes to show us that too. You see God's leading most clearly when you look back in your life. Often I've had little things happen to me and I scratch my head at the time and say, why in the world is this going on? And as I look back now, you know, 20, 30 years later, now four years later, good night, getting old. Um, as I look back, four, don't laugh, you're 70. Um, <laughs> she's 20 years older than me, so that's how I know. Uh, as you look back, you see... You see, wow, look what God did. Look at how God led me in this direction instead of that other direction. You see it most clearly as you look back. That doesn't mean you can't be led day by day. All right, that's not what we're talking about. Some false views of God's will. We talk, this, we're going to be talking about God's will here. And I'm going to toss up some false views of God's will. Whenever you speak of God's will, people sometimes some people think, well, whatever it is, I'm not going to like it. All right, I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to like it. And this is how I grew up as a little kid, you know. I thought, you know, if, I wanted, if I'm going to do God's will, I'm going to wind up in the middle of Africa, trudging through the jungle, eating monkey brain and tarantula soup, you know, somewhere out there, and I'm going to hate it, you know. That's not, that's not God's will. That's a, very, that, that's a false view of God's will. God's will, you know, some people say, well, I'm going to wind up a missionary to China. 
That was the horrid thing, you know, growing up being a missionary to China. Or I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be, you know, the, the, the people that are most in the will of God, you know, their, their clothes are in tatters. They drive a rusty old Volkswagen. You know, they live in a shack. They don't have any money. Or, you know, they're always struggling. You know, they're always having trials. And somehow God's will, whatever it is, is something I'm going to really, really, really hate. And I'm going to be miserable in it. That's not God's will. That's, that's not the way God's will operates. Now, let's ask a question. Is it God's will that some people do go to China? Sure. And if they are, what are they? Are they sad? Are they miserable? Are they they're happy? God's will is something. You know, God does, God's not saying, you know, I want you to follow me so I can make your life absolutely miserable. So I can steal all the joy in your life. I can make it just an absolute drudge for you to live your life. That's not how God operates. God, God's will is not something that you're going to hate and despise. doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulties at times. doesn't mean that everything's a bed of roses and you're just, you know, skating through life, tiptoe through the tulips. It doesn't work that way. But it does mean that there's joy being in God's will. Another false view is that God's will is hidden. You know, he's sort of hidden these little clues in life. And he's just up there sort of like, uh, I wonder if they're going to find this one here. You know, I've hid it so well. And, you know, it's like trying to find an Easter egg on, on Easter morning. You know, it's hidden somewhere. I know it's there. Maybe I can find it. And it's, it's almost like you live your entire life, you're either warm or cold. You know, you're either getting closer to God's will or you're getting farther away from God's will. But you never get it. And if you get it, it's accidental. You sort of like stumble over it. It's highly secretive. It's mystical. It's, it's something that's very difficult for you to find out. And sometimes when you find God's will, you don't know whether it is or not. God's will. People like this think that God plays games with them. You know, he has some perfect will for them and he's, he's just trying to see if they can accidentally find it. It's like he's playing a game with us. That's not how God's will operates. Others say God's will is weird. Whatever is weird is God's will. Alright? I call it the walls of Jericho mentality. You've got the Israelites that come in um, they're told that they're going to take over Jericho. And what does God tell them to do? March around the city. Well, now, look, I, you know, I, I don't know much about military strategy, but that's not the way you win a city. That's not the way you do it in those days. But God told them to march around the city, and they had to do that for seven days. And the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, shouted, and what happened? Walls fell. Yeah, they came tumbling down. And people think, well, the, the will of God is something really weird. It's something that's, that's irrational almost. It has me do odd things. And sometimes the more odd, the more weird the thing is, the more I'm in God's will. Because God's will is going to make me do something that's totally nonsense. I had a friend who operated this way. To him, God's will was something weird. Totally weird. And he would have things happen to him and say, oh, isn't it wonderful how God's operating? And he'd say, that's not God operating. That's your stupidity at work. That's not God working in your life. You know, I, I remember, you know, he got, he got evicted from a trailer park because his trailer was too dumpy. His yard was too dumpy. Now, how do you do that? Yeah, he did get evicted from a trailer park. That's hard to do. And he did. 
And I remember him saying, you know, well, it's God's will that I go live somewhere else. And it's like, no, that, that's not it at all. It's not God's will. It, it may be God's will in the sense that you're paying a price for your laziness, but it's not God's perfect will that you do that. But to him, if it was odd, if it was weird, if it was something that didn't make sense, that's God's will. All right. Now, is it true that sometimes God's will doesn't make sense? Yeah, but that's not a surefire way to figure out what God's will is. I remember John MacArthur talking about a guy he ran into who felt the Lord was coming back, so he liquidated half a million dollars, gave it all away, and waited on a mountain for God to come back. To him, that was God's will. It was weird. It was fantastic. And as far as I know, he's still on top of the mountain waiting for the Lord to come back. All right? God's, God may have you do things that don't make sense, but it's not weird. Okay? It's not irrational things. And one of the things you see in the modern charismatic movement, and we're going to talk about that later, is it seems the more weird and the more outlandish something is, the more the Spirit is in it. And that's not the way God operates. He doesn't operate that way. Others say, well, there's only one will for my life, and if I miss it, I'm toast for the rest of my life. If I, I might have married the wrong person. This is the big one. Um, I married the wrong person. I'm out of God's will. I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. Or I didn't go to the right school. Or I didn't take the right job. Or whatever. Um, people think that somehow God has his perfect plan all set up for them. And the first time they make an error, they just have to live a second-rate life. That's not the way God operates. Does God know what mistakes you're going to make before you make them? Yeah, remember we talked about his omniscience, which means he knows everything. He knows all your screw-ups. He knows all the bad decisions you're going to make before you make them. Don't, don't get into the thing that's think. well, if I make one bad decision, I'm done for. Now, is it possible that there are certain decisions you make that really are sort of uh, what we call career-ending type decisions? Yeah, you kill somebody, you commit a crime, you know, things like that. But, but some people think that, well, you know, if I didn't, you know, a lot of times they look like this in marriage. You know, well, I'm going to marry the wrong person. You know, if I, boy, and they're, they're scared to death to marry anybody because they think they're going to get the wrong one. Well, I can just say, looking back, I got the right one. Um, don't ask me how it happened, but I did. And God works that way. If you're honest and you want God's will in your life, he will show you the way to go. And you don't have to be paralyzed thinking that somehow you're going to make a mistake and derail the entire plan of God for your life. All right? So these are, these are false views of God's will. Now, when we look at God's will, I'm going to, you know, a lot of times when we're in, the, in the discussion of God's will... You have different types of God's will show up. One of them is God's determinative will. I'm going to say it's determinative will. What is God's determinative will? Well, it's what God has ordained is going to happen. And that's going to happen whether you participate or not. It's going to happen whether I take part in that or not. It's going to happen regardless of what mankind will do. For example, God has ordained that there's a day when Christ is coming back. Are you going to derail that? No. God has an ordained plan. It's part of his, we call this uh, his eternal decree. If you remember back when we are talking about theology, God's eternal decree, what is that? God's overall plan for eternity. It's going to work out. That's his determinative will. It'll happen. And I and you can't thwart it. 
Then there's what we would call God's perfect will. And we often toss that about. Anybody remember God's per- you know, say about God's perfect will for your life, things like that? Well, what is God's perfect will? That's God's true desire. That's what He really wants to have happen. Now, is that part of God's determinative will? Right. God's determinative will is going to happen regardless of what you do or don't do. But God has a perfect will. God has a will for us in our lives. There is a perfect will for God that, that who you're going to marry, where you're going to go to school, what vocation you have, what you're going to do today, if you're going to witness to this person or that person. There's a perfect will of God. And one of the things that we should strive as believers is to find God's perfect will for our lives and to do it. And the Spirit will lead us into doing that. He will help us. But then, there's also God's what we call permissive will. We talk about that sometimes. What is God's permissive will? That's what God allows to have happen. Is that what God necessarily wants to have happen? No. No. An example of this would be Christ. Remember when he came into Jerusalem and he cried over Jerusalem? He said, how long would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under wings and you would not? What was God's perfect will for Jerusalem? To receive their Messiah. What did God allow Jerusalem to do? Reject the Messiah. Now, is that going to thwart God's ultimate determinative will to redeem Jerusalem someday? Nope. But as the plan is worked out, God allows certain things to happen. God permits them. God permits us to make mistakes. He does. He allows us to, if we walk in the flesh and we disobey the Spirit and disobey God's lead, He will allow us to make mistakes. And I think all of us can relate to mistakes we've made in our lives where we've sort of did our own thing and ignored God. God allowed us to make that mistake. Now, the wonderful thing about Romans 8.28 is what does God do even with our mistakes? He works them out for His own glory. Because God knows what you're going to do anyways. Alright? And then I have here what I call the punitive will of God. What's that? Well, if you disobey God's principles, if you disobey biblical principles, what happens? You pay a price. There's a cost to that. That's what God determines will happen when we rebel against Him or His authority. It, you know, in, in my friend's case, was it God's will that he have certain things happen to him? Yes, it was because of his own disobedience. God determined there are certain things that are going to happen. That's not God's perfect will. God doesn't want to do that. But God has decreed that there are certain rules and certain things that, and principles that we are to live by. And when we violate those principles, there's a price to pay. There's a cost to that. And God sometimes brings that into our lives as chastening. Remember? Hebrews chapter 12, He chastens those who are His own children. That's the chastening hand of God. That's part of God's will. Now, it's interesting. You see all four of these in the book of Jonah. Remember Jonah, the story of Jonah? Let's look at God's determinative will. What was God's determinative will in Jonah? Yeah. God's determinative will is he's going to avert disaster. He's going to save Nineveh from being destroyed. That was God's determinative will. When did he figure that out? When did he determine that? Before time began. Before time began, God knew 
that he was going to save Nineveh at that point in time. And God's determinative will was that Jonah go and preach, that they preach, he preached repentance, that Nineveh would repent and that God, and disaster would be averted. Now, is anything going to thwart that? No. No. It's going to happen. However, let's look at God's perfect will. What was God's perfect will for Jonah? Yeah. <laughs> the first time. God's perfect will is that he tell Jonah to go preach and Jonah says, yes, I'll go. And Jonah goes and preaches repentance. But that's not what happened, is it? What did God allow Jonah to do? Get on a boat. <laughs> For a little while. He allowed Jonah to run away. He allowed Jonah to rebel. He gave him permission, so to speak, to do that. That was not his perfect will, but God allowed it to happen. And, of course, Jonah gets on the boat and you know the story. He's thrown overboard. A fish swallows him and vomits him out on dry land. Was Jonah able to thwart God's determinative will? No. Now, here's the thing. To fight against God's determinative will just causes you grief and pain. It doesn't prevent it from happening. So you might as well get on the ball and work with it. And then you see God's punitive will. What's his punitive will for Jonah? Get swallowed by a will. You disobey me. You turn and go the other way. You're going to Nineveh, Jonah. One way or another, you're going to get there. So God ordained a fish to swallow him and take Jonah to where he needed to be. You see all three of these things. And I think as you look at your own life, you see God's will working out here. And as believers, we want to, as best as possible, live in God's perfect will. We want to do God's perfect design for us. All right? Now, one of the things to understand when we talk about God's perfect design, it's not, it does not mean, is it God's will that I put my right pant leg on first or my left pant leg? That's silly. Doesn't matter. Is it God's will that I eat chicken or beef for supper? Chicken, yeah. Yeah. Is it God's will that I go here for a restaurant? Or, we're not, you know, that's silliness. All right, that's silliness. Dan talked about that last week. You know, people, there are some people that reduce God's will to that. Is it God's will that I go to work today or not? Boy, I better pray about that. No, it's God's will that you go to work. That's what God's ordained you to do. All right, you're to do that. So you don't want to reduce this to absurdity. But if you're serious about finding God's will, God will certainly lead you. We're going to talk about how he does that. What are some truths in determining God's will for your life? What are some, some things you can hang your hat on? Well, number one, God wants you to know his will a whole lot worse than you do. Realize that? God, God is not up in heaven with the, you know, the Easter eggs or something where he's... Uh, trying to keep you from doing God's will. And it's sort of like he's trying to trick you into making a bad decision. He's playing games. God wants you to know his will. God's greatest desire for us is that we know his will for our lives. He really wants that for us. And if God wants that for us, is he going to make it tough for us to figure out? No, he's not. We make it tough. We make it, tough. We make it hard doesn't need to be. God is eager and ready to reveal His will to those who want to know it. That, this is a very important thing to understand here. Some people say, I want to know the will of God so I can figure out whether I want to do it or not. Right? 
I'm going to get, I want to know God's will for my life, and then I will determine, once I know God's will, I will determine whether I want to do what His will is or I want to do my own thing. God doesn't play games like that. God basically says, if you want to know my will, I will reveal it to you, but then there's an obligation on your part to do it. Now, if you're going to play games where you want to just know God's will because you want another opinion as to what you should do, God's not going to be serious about that. Remember, it says in Isaiah, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. How bad do you want to know God's will? How bad do you want to do it? And you need to ask yourself when you're determining God's will, if God reveals his will to you, are you um, determined to do whatever it is that he shows you to do? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Because in a lot of our cases, we don't see God's will that way. We sort of see it as another opinion. Let's get God's opinion on this. And then I'll decide whether I want to do it or not. Let's, let's get God's opinion on who I should marry. And if she's pretty, I'll marry her. If not, I'll marry somebody else. Or a job or whatever it is that it is. Also, the other thing to understand, and this is something that most people totally miss when it comes to the will of God. He's revealed a lot of it to us already. There's a lot of God's will that we already know. Because he's revealed it to us in the scripture. A tremendous amount of it he's revealed to us, in fact. And a lot of times what people want to do is they want to somehow find what God's will is for them in some area of, of life like job, marriage, family, vocation. And are totally disobeying God's will in areas that he's already revealed to them, already showed them. Now let's ask a question. If God has already showed you his will and you're not doing it, is he under obligation to show you anything else? No, he's not. But doesn't he too, there's that verse that says, and I don't remember what it is, but it says, he is the one who both wills for you to do it and to do it. He wills, he wills for you to do it and he gives you the strength to do it. Because we couldn't really right. do it on our own anyway. If he showed me what his will was for me, I would be terrified and say, I can't do it. Yeah. It, it, I don't have to worry about doing it because he will, he will permit it to do it and he does it too. Right. But you need to cooperate with the Spirit and be, open to, and be Spirit. open to the Spirit leading you to do what God wants you to do. Yeah. Um, the verse you're talking about is Philippians 2, 12-13. Therefore, my beloved, as you always obey, not so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And he does the work, too. Right. But we do have to be open, but it, it would be terrifying to think, you know, if he showed me his will, I'd say I can't do it. But... And that's a, very important, that's a very important point to make. Very important. God not only will show you his will, he'll give you the energy, the ability to do what he wants you to do. And this goes back to the mystery of the Christian life. Who lives your Christian life for you? Do you or does God? Both. It's both. 
God lives my Christian life. God empowers me every day, moment by moment, to do His will. But I have to decide to get up in the morning and go to work. I have to decide that I'm going to do this or do that. I have to make those decisions as well. So what you see in the Christian life is it's both you and God. And you need to cooperate with the Spirit. And, and that's an important thing. You know, some people say, well, when we talk about, when we get into the doctrine of salvation, it goes along with um, the idea of being made holy. Some people say, well, the way you're made holy is you sort of let go and let God. It's sort of like the passive kind of thing. You, you know, you ever hear somebody say that? Well, just let go and let God just sort of lead you along, you know. And uh, that was sort of my friend's idea. You know, well, you know, I just sort of like kick back. I won't do anything. God will just sort of float me along where I need to go. And is there an element of truth to that? There's an element of truth to that. And then there's others that say, well, I'm not going to let go and let God. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to have at it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. Now, is there an element of truth to that? Of course there is. But you also have the Spirit who is leading you, but you have to do something. You know, the Spirit might have led Paul to go to the next city, but Paul had to put on his sandals and go. All right? Both are there. Both are operative. And by the way, let's ask a question. How did Paul determine where to go on his missionary journeys? Well, that's true. He was led by the Spirit. What, what else? You look at a map. You say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, you know, if you're in Antioch, of, you know, and there's two roads out of town, you've got to pick one, right? Yeah. If you came up one road, you've got to take the next one. And where does it go? Well, it leads over to Iconium. Near Iconium, where does that one next row? Well, Lystra's the next one on the map. Let's go there. And you say, wow, that's not very spiritual. Well, you know, that's the way God, you know, God's not going to lead you here and then over here and then up here and over there. You know, it. We, we reduce sometimes the will of God to absurdity. Alan, yeah. That's, that's, that's good. <laughs> but um, there are occasions where, for whatever God has in mind, the obvious next point to go may not be part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if and when that's the case, he will start mm-hmm. closing doors, causing things to become obvious that that next obvious yep. point isn't. You're a couple of slides ahead, but you're exactly right. You're exactly right. You know, maybe, maybe Paul, look, you know, again, when Paul's over in Miletus, he's looking at a map, where do you go next? Well, the obvious choice is I go north or east, because I, I came from the south, there's the ocean on the west, so I got to go north or east. Well, let's try east. No, that, that, there's nothing. I, you know, this, this, now we don't know how the Spirit led him in that, but there was certainly a no decision there that he was aware of. Let's go north. No, there's a no decision there. Close the doors. So what happens that night? Well, God opens the door to Europe. All right, and you're exactly right. So one of the things that we need to do as we execute this, you know, as we live our lives. Use sense, look at the next destination on the map, but be open to God saying, no, let's go this way. And God will do that. You know, if you're serious about knowing God's will, he will make it 
obvious to you beyond any shadow of a doubt where he wants to lead you. And he'll lead you in that direction. You know, he'll close the doors. You know, I had a door closed in my life earlier on when I was in college. Um, I worked, you know, summer job was working in a factory and I hated that. I despised that with all the fiber of my being. Um, yeah, I couldn't stand it. And, uh, but I did it. Um, and I asked it, I had to ask the Lord every day, help me get through the day, and literally, because I hated it. And, uh, in the summer, there's a job that opened up at, uh, Oberlin College as a computer operator. And I applied for that, and I thought I'd get it, but some joker got it before me because he was there a month before I was. He had one month seniority on me. And I remember being very depressed about that and thinking about going to have to work back in the factory. And then, as I'm sitting there in the computing center, the data center, a guy came up and said, oh, by the way, I'm looking for a programmer this summer. You're interested. So I got that job, and that launched me on my current career. God closed one door, but he opened another. And, you know, I don't want it to sound too spiritual, but I remember when that door closed, I said, well, Lord, I guess you have something else for me. I don't know what it is, but I'll have to trust you on this one. And he got to care of it. You know, so God will close a door. God will open a door. Be sensitive to the leading. And when God closes a door, don't think that's the end of the world. Oh, my. Oh, my. It's the end of the world. No, it's not. It's just a new opportunity to go somewhere else. And God will lead you. All right. But God, God revealed a great deal of his will. And if we refuse to do what he's already revealed, he's under no obligation to show us anything else. All right. If you're not doing what God, God's will, what God has already revealed in Scripture, God is under no obligation to give you guidance as to what your vocation is, who you should marry, where you should get a job, where you should go to school, whatever. God's under no obligation to do that. You need to be able. You need to do what God's already revealed for you to do. So, what are some good indicators of God's will? Before we get into the specifics, what are some good indicators of God's will? How do I know? Or what are some good things to use to determine what God's will is for me? Well, one good indicator is God's word, what he's revealed. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. God's revealed certain things in God's word that we are to do. And if we're doing those, we can rest assured that we're doing God's will for us. When we follow biblical principles, we can rest assured that I am doing what God is wanting me to do. I'm in God's will. Circumstances could do that, and that's what Sammy brought up, you know, financial, educational gifting. Um, is it God's will that everybody in here be a teacher? No, because he may not have gifted you that way. By the way, guess what we're going to start next week? Yes. We're going to have three or four weeks on spiritual gifts, so don't miss that. Call your friends and enemies to come in and find out what God's will is, or what, what, uh, what the spiritual gifts are and how to determine. We're going to show you how to determine your spiritual gift and do it and have fun at it. So that's, that's next week. Um, but financial, you know, there's certain, you know, God's given each of us a certain amount of financial resources. And it's not God's will. This is interesting. Is it God's will that you live above your financial resources that he gave you? No. That's a no-brainer. No. All right. So if you... If you go out and you charge up to the hill and you get in the debt, don't talk about it being God's will for your life because it's not. In fact, one of the things that I think we can all do is ask God to help us be content with what he's granted us to have. Be content with that. 
And if God wants to give you more, he'll give you more. But live within your means. And, you know, there are Christians today who are in total, absolute financial bondage because they've lived way above their needs. It means they live far out on the edge. Saying, I have faith that God will... Don't get into that kind of stuff. All right? God's given you a brain. He's given you something, to, you know, to think with. And God has revealed certain biblical principles on finance in the Bible. And when you violate those, that's God's punitive will. <laughs> that's not God's perfect will. That's God's punitive will at work. Educational. Some people, you know, God has given all of us a different ability to understand and, and do things. Not everybody is, you know, Mensa. Not everybody is smarter than other people. But God has gifted each of us in a unique way. And that limits certain things we can do. Not, is everybody in here going to be a college professor? Well, no. So that, might, that limits God's will. So when you're looking at God's will for your life, you need to realize that God has given you a package of financial, educational giftings that enables you to do what he wants you to do. And if God wants you to do something else, he'll give you the ability to do it. God is not going to ask you to do something beyond your capability. All right? He's not going to do that. He's going to give you whatever resources are required for you to accomplish what he wants you to do. And, and he's faithful doing that. Um, as Sammy said, closed door, open doors. Closed doors, open doors. I remember many times when I had decisions to make, sometimes I would say, Lord, help me not to screw this thing up. Don't let me make a bad decision. Prevent me from making a mistake. And you know what? He's been faithful to do that. And there are times, you know, when you are confused. It's like, I don't know what to do in this situation. What I hear here. And, and, you know, it's easy to become confused. And often when I have, when I find myself in that spot, I just say, Lord, keep me from making a bad decision. Prevent me from making a mistake. Close the door in my face so that I don't make a bad mistake bad decision and he has been faithful to do that and sometimes I have to wait a little bit you know I don't want to you don't want to make decisions too quickly too fast give God time to lead counsel of other people is a good one you know sometimes you know when you need to make a decision ask some close friends get their read on things now understand that God does not give them prophecies to tell you how to live your life that's not the purpose but sometimes it's good to ask some friends, you know, well, what do you think about doing this or doing that? I remember when I had to decide whether I should go to Moen or not, to go work at Moen. I, I worked at Oberlin College for 17 years. It was hard for me to decide to pull up stakes and go to Moen. So I asked, some, asked her, and I asked Diane, believe it or not, what's it like working at Moen? She said, it's horrible. No, she didn't say that. I asked Diane, I said, what's it like working there? I asked some people, I asked around, and... You know, I, I got some counsel. And I made a good decision. Looking back, I made the right decision. But when I was going through it, I asked people about their read on it. You know, so that, that's good to do that. What are some bad indicators of God's will? Oh, I've seen these in my life. Fleeces. Know what a fleece is? Well, yeah, Gideon used one. But, and some people say, well, see, Gideon used a fleece, so I'm going to use the fleece. Yeah, but let's, let's understand something about, we're going to go into biblical interpretation here for a second. Gideon was part of a genre called historical narrative. What does a historical narrative tell you? 
What happened? Yeah. It doesn't tell you necessarily what... Yeah, it doesn't tell you what should have happened. It just says, this is what he did. All right? It doesn't mean that, well, because Gideon did it, I can do it. <laughs> what I'll do tonight, I'll go get a blanket, I'll put it outside, and I'll say, if God wants me to do this, the blanket will be dry and the ground will be wet. And then tomorrow I'll put it out there and the blanket will be wet and the ground dry and whatever it is. You know, That's a bad way to do it. That, that, that's sort of like hocus-pocus kind of stuff. All right? Gideon certainly did it, and God honored his lack of faith in doing what he said. But a lot of people say, well, you know, if, uh, you know, if the sun comes up this morning, then I know it's God's will for me to do this. Or, you know, if I see the sun rise and it's not cloudy, it's God's will for this. Or, you know, if somebody calls me in the next 30 minutes, I'll know it's God's will. Otherwise, it's not God's will. And you do all of these kind of games, try and, try and uh, get God to drop a brick on you or something like that. That's a bad way to make a decision. You know, um, fleeces are not a good way to make decisions. Um, oddball impressions, that's another one. You know, that's my friend, you know, I had some oddball impression. Then he'd go off and do something, get himself in trouble. So well, I thought God was leading me because of this impression that I had. Now, can God lead through impressions? But what kind of impressions are they, by and large? They're mashed up to Scripture. They're constant. All right. And they're not some weird kind of off-the-wall thing. All right? They're not a weird off-the-wall kind of impression that you get. You know, you see, I, I remember um, probably a good, good uh, illustration of this is there was a guy on the Internet was selling a picture of Jesus, all right, in a cloud. And uh, he said the story behind that is he was trying to sleep one morning. He couldn't sleep. And he heard a voice saying, go out to this particular pond. And he took his picture and... So he took this picture out there on the pond early in the morning and there and behold there's the face of Jesus in the cloud. And so he was convinced that the Holy Spirit told him to go take a picture of Jesus in a cloud. That goes along with a holy tortilla or the rust stain on the side of the whatever it is or something like that. There is. There's a shrine of the holy tortilla. Some lady was making a tortilla and burned it and it looked like the face of Jesus and her priest agreed with her. He blessed it. And so now down in Mexico you can take a pilgrimage and see a tortilla with the face of Jesus on it. Alright. It, it gets weird. It's just toast with the face of Jesus and what is it? The burnt... What was the one? The, the, the grilled cheese sandwich? You know? Folks, that needs to be, you just need to laugh at that just to dismiss it out of hand. That's not God leading anybody to do anything. Some say trials and difficulties. Now, we've got to be careful here, right? Can God close a door via a trial to reveal his word? But just because you face opposition, is it necessarily not God's will? I mean, look at poor old Paul. Everywhere he went, he faced opposition. He said, well, if it's God's will I preach, I don't get thrown in jail tonight. Well, he'd never preach, Right? I mean, just because you have some trial or some difficulty or because a decision you make might be tough doesn't mean it's not God's will for you. And I've known people that have been, I don't know, just bounced around in life like a beach ball on a wave, just boom, boom, boom. Because, you know, I'll make a decision here. Oh, had a little opposition. That's not God's will. I'll go over here. Oh, had a little opposition. That's not God's will. I'll go over here. And it's bounced all over the place. And they're tossed back and forth. Look, just because you're in God's will doesn't mean you're going to skate without trials. All right? So you need to be careful with that. 
Here's another bad one. Prophecies from others. I remember in, when I was teaching the singles class, I had a friend of mine from Firelands High School show up from a certain church on the North Coast. And he came over to um, help us get more in tune with the Spirit. And uh, he said, you know, the Spirit gave him a prophecy to come here and help us learn to teach or speak in tongues. And I told him, I said, well, the Spirit didn't give me that same prophecy. Um, he didn't stay. <laughs> he thinks we hate him, but uh, he had a prophecy. And one of the things, one of the problems you see in the modern charismatic movement is a lot of times people get up and say, well, God told me blah, and everybody just sort of goes along with it because who am I to question God? I mean, God told a guy, look, God does not lead that way. God does not give prophecies. Now, was there a time in Scripture where God did give prophecies and God did reveal them? Sure there are. And he also says, test the spirit. Try them. Test them. You know, um, prophecies from others are bad indicators of God's will for your life. When somebody comes up and says, um, God revealed to me that it is his will that you marry me. All right, you don't need that. Go somewhere else. You know, that's... You can find out that's God's will that you not marry that person, all right? Because there's been a lot of disasters caused by this kind of stuff. Those are bad indicators. So, what is God's will? This, our entire class was bringing up to this, this here. This here. How do you know God's will? What is God's will for you? Well, by and large, 99% of it is revealed in the Bible. It's all there for you. All you got to do is read it. It's God's will that we be saved, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if somebody is not saved, are they in God's will? No. Now, we've got to separate, and we'll separate this out later when we discuss it, determinative and permissive and perfect. But in your life, when you look at your life individually, as an individual before God, God's first and foremost will for you is that you be saved. Well, without salvation, you can't... Nothing else. Yeah, that's a starting point, really. You're right. That's a starting point. If you're not saved, nothing else counts. That's a deal breaker. You need to be saved. And it's God's will that you be saved. And that's, that's, so, when, so here's, the, here's, here's something to understand. When you witness to other people, when you share the gospel, are you doing God's will? Of course, because what's God's will? People be saved. So when you evangelize, you don't need to write, is it it God's will that I witness this person or not? You don't even need to ask that, right? You don't even need to go there. Well, maybe it's not God's will that I witness to this person. Yes, it is his will that you witness to that person. Yes, it is. We know that. You don't need to try and determine that or figure it out. It's a given. They're afraid. Now, maybe it's not God's will at that time to share with them, but it's always God's will that you be a testimony and a witness and that you tell people and not be ashamed about who you are as a Christian. And it's always first and foremost His will that our witness be... Both of them are there. I like the way Vance Haver puts it. He says, you know, you need to live the Christian life, but every once in a while you need to open your mouth. That's, it's true, though. But, but here's, Sammy makes a very good point. If you open your mouth and tell people about Jesus and your life is a wreck, 
I've had so I knew somebody was that. I mean, his, his life was a total disaster area. You know, if you if you had yellow tape, you could put yellow tape around his life. Disaster zone. Do not enter. But he always wanted to witness. And I remember him one time saying, you know, I need, would you pray for me because I'm witnessing to my lawyer. You're witnessing to your lawyer. What lawyer is that? Well, you know, I, I haven't paid my bills. I'm being sued and I'm witnessing to my lawyer. All right. Well, that makes a good testimony right there. I'm not making that up, by the way. That is a true story. You know, look, folks. You need to live. And, that, and by the way, that's the second piece there. It's God's will that you be sanctified. What does mean sanctified mean? Holy. That's God's will. You don't need to think about that. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to search it out. You don't need to try and figure out if it's God's will that you be holy. It is His will that you be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 Somebody look that up. Let's read that. Somebody look up 1 Thessalonians 4.3 And we'll have somebody look up the rest of these here too. But 1 Thessalonians 4.3 This is important. Somebody read that. Terry. Oh. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. In the context of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about sexual immorality. There's a lot of it back then. And he says, it is God's will that you be sanctified, specifically that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, by extension, if it's God's will that you be sanctified, what does sanctified mean? It means to be set apart, to be holy, to be different. That's God's will for you. So whenever you need to ask yourself, is it God's will that I lie or not lie, that's a bad question, right? It's God's will that you not lie. It's God's will that you be holy. It's God's will that you be pure. It's God's will that you be a person of integrity. That's a good one. Is it God's will that I pay my bills or not? Do you need to really think about that? I had somebody tell me one time, if it was God's will for me to pay my bills, he'd give me the money. Yeah, and it's like, what? I mean, it's one of those things where somebody says that, you don't even know how to respond. You know, you just, you sort of like, you know, you don't know what to say. And it's like, of course it's God's will that you pay your bills. And, you know, if you're behind, you need, maybe you need to get another job. Or you maybe need to work a second job. or, or do it. To be a person of integrity, as a Christian, here's the thing, folks, as Christians, barring financial catastrophe, we should be people of integrity. We should pay our bills on time, in full. Meet our obligations. Be a person of our word. Well, this person sort of thought you should be allowed. Oh, yeah, that's right. God's will for me was that uh, I give him money to pay his bills. That was God's will for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Christian because I don't... Yeah, it's just, this is... Yeah. His prophecy was that I pay his bills. You know, that's a... Look, folks, you know... We, we, I, I say this as an as a example of absurdity, but there are people that think this. I'm not making it up. You probably know people in your life that think this way. And the bottom line is that God has called, told us in his word that his will for us is that as believers we be sanctified. That means that we know and do what he has revealed in his word. When it comes to behavior, when it comes to attitudes, when it comes to godly character, godly living, we are to do that. And if we are not doing that, God is under no obligation to tell you who to marry. All right? If you're not living with his revealed will, he's not going to give you his unrevealed will for you. 
It's also God's will that we be thankful. Somebody read that. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will that you be? You know, I think that's the number one sin of Christianity today. We're not thankful for anything. And one of the things I've tried to do in my life, and, I've, and it's taken a lot of time, I've worked on it many years, is learning to be thankful for everything. When I get up in the morning and go to work, I'm thankful I have a car to drive, a place to go to work, a job I can do. I have sight to see, I can hear. I'm thankful for the home I have. I'm thankful for the person I'm married to. I'm thankful for my faculties this morning. I was thanking God for my health as I ate breakfast. It's engendering a whole lifestyle of thanking God. And when you are appreciative for everything, realize that everything we have is a gift from God. When you become thankful for that, I'll tell you what, it, is, it brings joy to your heart. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say something. I think also that we need to be thankful even in the sense that, like your job in the factory, you mm-hmm. had a job. I remember. It wasn't what you wanted. I remember many a day waking up saying, Father, I thank you for this job even though I hate it. I thank you that I have it. You know, and it's hard to do. It is. It really is hard to do that sometimes. And you say, well, should I be thankful even for my trials? Well, of course, because what do trials produce? Godly character. All right. So be thankful when a trial comes your way. Be thankful when you have a flat tire on the road. Be thankful for those things. Yeah, and, and, you get, and by the way, you understand this takes practice. This is not natural to us. It takes practice. We even blow it. I blew it on my vacation. We were trying to get out of Yellowstone. The traffic was back up for one hour. We sat in line for one hour to get out of Yellowstone. And I was tired, and I was ornery, and I was cranky, and Donna was crankier. And, yeah. And, and I, you know, I really blew it because I got mad and I got really upset. And you wouldn't want to hear some of the things I said. And come to find out there was a very serious accident that closed down the road. I, I think someone said somebody was killed in it even. Now, what should I have done? I should have thanked God that I was safe instead of being in. So, I see, you blow it. You know, you practice it for all those years. You still blow it. But God's will is that you be thankful, that you give him thanks in all things, for all things. You realize that everything you have from God is a gift from Him. And you look around and say, well, I don't have as much as that person. Yeah, but you have more than 99% of the people in the world do. Be thankful for what God has given you. Be appreciative of it. And by the way, that will help you when it comes to this lust and pursuit of things. It's God's will that we suffer for righteousness' sake. Somebody read that. Terry had two of them already, and she got preempted. All right, Terry will do it. How about 317 and 419? Yeah. Peter was writing a letter to Christians under Nero. What kind of emperor was Nero? Bad one. And he basically said, it is God's will that you suffer for righteousness' sake than for evil. Now, later on, or earlier in the book, 
Peter says, you know, if you suffer as a thief or a murderer or an evildoer, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing to be honored about that. That's not suffering for Jesus. I, I knew some people that, you know, they, they bad decisions. They suffer and they say, oh, isn't it wonderful I'm suffering for Jesus? I know you're suffering because you're stupid. You're not suffering for Jesus. When you suffer for righteousness sake, that's what the will of God is. When you're doing the right thing and you suffer for it. And by the way, it's God's will that we suffer. If you are living a holy Christian life, what's going to happen? You're going to find opposition. And that's God's will. That's part of God's will for you. That you suffer. And that you rejoice in suffering knowing that God will take care of things. And finally, at the end here, Ephesians 5, 17 through 18. So what is God's will for you in that passage? Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be unwise, but know what the will of the Lord is. And what is the will of the Lord? To be filled with the Spirit. And what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We talked about that last week. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, you are led by the Spirit of God, which means you do things according to what the Scripture says. You live a holy life. You do what the Word of God tells you to do. And now, let's go back. If we are doing these five things, if you're living these five things, what is God going to do? If you are saved, if you're suffering, you're dealing with sin, you're thankful, you're filled with the Spirit, then what's God going to give you? The desires of your heart. What do you want to do? It's not that hard, is it? If you're living a consistently Spirit-filled life, walking in the Holy Spirit, dealing with sin in your life, you're serious about knowing God's will, God is going to give you the desire to do what it is He wants you to do. So if you want to know what God wants you to do, you ask yourself, what do I want to do? That's what God's will is for you. It's not that hard. We make it tough. We make it difficult. We make it something hard to figure out, and it's really not, folks. God wants you to know His will. He wants you to do it. And these principles will help us get there. All right, well, let's close in prayer. And uh, any comments before we quit? All right. Let's close in prayer. And next week we're going to start looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. And what I would suggest you do is uh, between now and then read 1 Corinthians 12-14. through I'd read it several times. Because that's really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time the next four weeks or so, is in those, four, in those three chapters. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for being here and teaching us. And I pray that we would be people who do your will, that we would know what it is. We would be wise, that we would be filled with the Spirit. We suffer, we give thanks, we'd be sanctified. And that, then you would give us the desires of our heart that we would do what pleases you. And that's really what we want to do, Father, is to bring joy to your heart as we walk in your will for us. In Christ's name, amen.